Welcome back to Pod Hates Louisa, a weekly podcast where I talk about whatever the hell I want. This week's topic is one that's very near and dear to my heart. First of all, the title of this episode is, Is There Life on Mars? Because there's a really good song by David Bowie called Life on Mars. Very famous. I'm sure you probably have heard it. And there was a phase where I was like obsessed with that song and I would listen to it like four times a day. That doesn't even sound like that much. I would listen to it so much though. Also, when I was back in my Montessori era, we did this major academic project called The Term Paper which was literally just writing one term paper. It was like a big deal, okay? You don't understand. It was a big deal. Like from fourth to sixth grade, that was the major academic stressor in my life. Now in college, it's like you have three days to write one or whatever. But basically we had to make like a poster board and we had a big research fair at the end of the year and it was a huge deal and they would basically cancel classes like for weeks so we could just like devote all of our energy to this project. And I can't believe they actually let me do mine on aliens one year. That's kind of iconic love that for me. Unfortunately, I no longer have access to that paper on aliens, but I definitely recall drawing like shitty colored pencil illustrations of like the three major types of aliens. And I like put so much effort into it and it was a whole thing. And I also remember drawing silver Sharpie stars like all over my poster board for like hours and getting so high off the fumes because I was like lying on the floor, like inhaling Sharpie for hours. Anyway, today's episode is all about aliens and the search for extraterrestrial intelligence in general. First of all, I have to talk about like the probability of extraterrestrial life. So personally, I think that it's extremely likely to exist. The universe that we live in is so big that we don't even fully know how vast it is yet and it's probably still expanding. And the probability that like some kind of microbial or like microscopic life of some kind out there is pretty good, I'd say. I think it's likely to be carbon-based or silicon-based because both of those elements can build long molecules and that's really important for or the complexity of living things. And then water is also really important because it's like a good solvent. So it's great for like ripping molecules apart and providing a good environment for chemical reactions. But I don't think those things are strictly necessary for life. I think there could be life forms based on elements that are not carbon and silicon. And I think there could also be elements unknown to humanity that life forms could also be based on, but they might still exhibit some of the characteristics of living things that we have on earth. And side note, I feel like the characteristics of living things that you learn in like your high school bio class or I don't know if everyone knows that but basically you learn about like growth and development and like metabolism and like the eight characteristics of life or whatever and I think they're a really flawed metric because there are some things like viruses that are like really hard to classify as either living or non-living because they exhibit some of the characteristics like almost all of them but not all of them they can reproduce technically because they can insert their genome into other organisms genomes and then the organisms basically copy the virus for them, but they can't like do it on their own. I think there are definitely better ways that we could figure out to determine whether something is alive or not. I think life might even have a completely different meaning on other planets and in other environments. The point is, I think it's definitely possible that there are little things out there that like metabolize energy and reproduce and grow and develop and do all the things that life on Earth does. And I think that life forms on other planets might be just like beyond our wildest imagination and be nothing like creatures on Earth, even though like a lot of sci-fi made by human beings definitely takes inspiration from humans and other earth creatures we're pretty actually uncreative when it comes to that i think the probability of like sci-fi movie aliens is extremely low but the probability of aliens of some kind very high i think the probability of intelligent life existing somewhere else in the universe is another story so there's basically this equation called the drake equation that estimates how many stars in the universe have planets with intelligent life on them and this equation takes into account 
count the number of stars with planets, the number of stars with at least one habitable planet, habitability lasting long enough for life and intelligence to evolve, and then it takes into account the probability of life and intelligence actually evolving, because even if it can, it won't necessarily do that. So if you multiply the plausible upper and lower limits of those probabilities, you get that there's like one intelligent civilization per a thousand galaxies, if you assume like the worst, but if you assume the best, or I guess if you want us to be alone in the universe, it's not the best. But if you use those plausible upper limits, you get that there's an intelligent civilization for every 50 stars in the galaxy, which is extremely common, extremely frequent. And the equation also estimates the probable distance from us to the nearest civilization, and the conservative estimate of that is 3 million parsecs, which is like 3 times 10 to the 16th meters-ish, so it's like 3 with 16 zeros meters. So that's a lot of meters. But then the like generous or liberal estimate of the distance between us and the nearest civilization is 5 parsecs, which is comparatively much less. There's also this thing called Fermi's question. Enrico Fermi was an Italian-American physicist, and I like that guys just like get questions named after them. Like, how did they know that he was the first one to ask this question? But whatever. Anyway, Fermi's question is basically, so where are the aliens? Like, if you assume that a civilization has the capacity to explore space and assume that they want to, then it's very likely that our galaxy has already been explored because the universe from our knowledge has existed for a really long time. So basically the question is if intelligent life forms are so likely to evolve and the universe has been around for so long, then why haven't they contacted us already? Why don't we have evidence of aliens visiting our planet or our solar system in any way? So that's like definitely a big problem for people who think intelligent life is extremely likely to exist. And then there's also just like the issue of distance between us and the potential intelligent life. Like basically the current rate of human travel allows us to travel one parsec every 10,000 years. And remember, even if you assume the absolute best, like the closest intelligent civilization would be like five parsecs away or something on average. So even under the best circumstances, it would take us 50,000 years to reach the nearest intelligent civilization, assuming that we knew exactly where it was and nothing went wrong on that mission. And I think like the Titan sub and other like deep sea and deep space mishaps, because I think those two areas of exploration have a lot in common. I think those incidents have taught us that a lot can go wrong with those types of missions and they're, you know, extremely treacherous. But there is an idea that we could use something called a von Neumann machine to explore the universe, which would be, I think, not inhabited by humans. And I think it would seek out asteroids to use for constructing itself and energy sources like solar energy and hydrocarbons from like gas giants. And it could replicate itself in space so that it could send out more spacecraft even further, like creating new generations of spacecraft, basically. And this kind of machine would take like 300 million years-ish to cross the galaxy, which is actually relatively short compared to how old the galaxy is, and could even be shorter if the aliens had more technological capacity than humans. So the distance is definitely like an issue, but it's not as big of an issue as it might initially seem. But since the universe has apparently been around for so long, it's kind of discouraging that there's no conclusive evidence that our solar system has been visited by aliens yet. But people are searching. So the search for extraterrestrial intelligence has been largely based on these machines called radio telescopes, which basically either observe radio signals or send out radio signals to solar type stars, stars that could plausibly have habitable planets. And humans have signaled our existence to other areas. We sent a signal in the 1970s to the M13 cluster. And so that would have alerted any alien civilization 
civilization of our existence in that area, but it's going to take like 13,000 years for them to receive it. Yeah, stuff travels really slowly in space, but there is this interest also in Mars because Mars is probably the most similar planet in our solar system to Earth, and Mars soil was tested in 1976 for chemical products of life, but so far they haven't found any conclusive evidence. But there is erosion on Mars's surface that was discovered in like 2000 that looks like it was caused by water drainage. And as I mentioned earlier, water is very, very important for life forms, at least the ones that we're familiar with. Water is life, so that seems encouraging. And Mars is basically a polar desert right now, but a very recent study in the journal Science suggests evidence of periods of liquid water forming lakes and channels when Mars like tilted on its axis enough to allow it to melt. And they've concluded that it happened on and off for a really long time, and the most recent occurrence of this liquid water formation would have been about 630,000 years ago. So that's like a blip in terms of evolutionary time. But like there is a, a possibility that life could exist on Mars because water is there. And the researchers from Brown who did that study suggested that Mars organisms could be like Antarctic organisms today where they exist in a frozen state for long periods of time in a kind of like suspended animation. And then they wake up when there's liquid water. But alas, we have had no encounters yet with Martians. But we do have ways of classifying alien encounters. So a type 1a encounter would be a human or an alien noticing an accidental sign of the other's presence, like smoke from a cooking fire or something like that. A type 1b encounter would be a deliberate sign of existence, like the radio signal that we sent out with the Arecibo radio telescope in the 1970s. A type 2 encounter would be finding an artifact left behind by aliens, like a spaceship. And then a type 3 encounter with aliens is an actual face-to-face -face meeting. And that's where the phrase close encounters of the third kind comes from. So now I want to get into some of the most interesting reported alien encounters, because I feel like that's what people are here for, probably. That's probably what you were expecting. And then I talked about probability for like 10 minutes. But anyway, there have been countless UFO sightings throughout history, so I'm not going to go through all of those because obviously I can't. There are so many. And the earliest dates back to like 1450 BCE. So like people have been seeing shit in the sky for a really long time. But one of the most interesting early alien sightings was in Hitachi province in Japan in 1803. And it was a couple of local fishermen who found a closed vessel with a beautiful young woman inside who had red and white hair and was reportedly dressed in strange clothing. And she was holding a square box that no one else was allowed to touch. And she spoke to them in a language that they had never heard before. Then there was the Flatwoods monster in West Virginia in 1952. And there are a lot of other like cryptids or cryptozoological creatures like the jackalope, yeti, etc. that some people think are aliens also. But anyway, the Flatwoods monster, a bunch of kids and two adults followed a bright object into the forest one night and they smelled a foul odor and saw a tall figure with claws and a head that resembled the ace of spades. Very specific description. Then there was the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter in Kentucky in 1955 where 11 people witnessed creatures at a rural farmhouse throughout the night and two men shot at them and the creatures were described as goblins, aliens, little green men, owls, or circus monkeys by the different people who were there. And you'll notice that a lot of these things are happening at night, which, you know, like obviously darkness, obscurity can make it really easy to mistake some things for other things. And then there was the Betty and Barney Hill abduction in New Hampshire in 1961. Betty and Barney Hill were a couple and they saw light move through the sky and land ahead of them. And they encountered six small humanoid aliens who inserted a needle through Betty's navel in addition to doing other supposedly medical tests. 
tests. So this is like the classic aliens take you into their spaceship and probe you type vibe. I feel like that's a very common trope in media. And then there was also the Emilson abduction in Poland in 1978, where there was this farmer named Jan Volski. That's like the most Polish name I've ever heard. And he saw two short green-faced humanoids in black overalls who jumped onto his cart and spoke an incomprehensible language to him. And he also saw a white flying object from which a creature came out and invited him inside to examine him. Don't know what that entailed. And there are a couple of really commonly cited types of aliens, and I feel like media stereotypes about supernatural creatures definitely influence what people think they see. Like, people are very suggestible, so if they see a bear in the woods and it's really dark, they might be inclined to think it's a yeti, for example, because they've seen stuff about Bigfoot, you know? The main types that I've come across are greys, which are, like, the classic alien, what you probably think of when you think of an alien, which is a small hairless creature about like three feet tall with a big head and like slits for a mouth and nostrils and big black almond shaped eyes that are like glassy and then three to four fingers on each hand. So this type of alien is very commonly described. And then also little green men or like green skin was involved in a lot of the descriptions. And then there's also what are called Nordic aliens, which are like tall humanoids with blonde hair and blue eyes. A lot of celebrities are Nordic aliens. And then there are also reptilians, which are tall, scaly humanoids, and some celebrities are also reptilians. You heard it here first, folks. Anyway, how to explain all of this away, because, you know, I don't really believe that any of these encounters are credible. I think a lot of it is probably people making shit up for clout, and it's honestly fun to let your imagination run wild. So I think a lot of people are just very creative, and then some of them might also be experiencing actual hallucinations or delusions. And then a lot of UFO sightings, I think, can also be chalked up to like a number of things including weird weather phenomena or like also weather balloons and like aircraft that's being used for espionage and like undisclosed military operations that the public doesn't know about and also just like regular airplanes but it's really fun to make stuff up about UFOs and aliens I absolutely love sci-fi I'm a huge sci-fi fan and honestly life's too short to take it too seriously so have fun tell stories about aliens who cares love that for you and I will talk to you next week. Louisa Miller out.